Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Our Subcity with Grace Ogunyemi. Previously, in episode two, we looked at causes of homelessness for the individual. And in this episode three today, we're looking at causes of homelessness, the wider housing market. This is the second part of a two-part episode looking at the causes of homelessness. In this episode, we are going to look at the external causes that can cause an individual to become or to stay homeless when living in the UK, this external cause being our housing market. Whenever homelessness is covered in the media, our shortage of housing in the UK is also covered, especially housing that is affordable for those who have a low income. So why do we have a shortage of housing stock in the UK? There are a number of factors, and I'll try and break down each one. Council accommodation is low-cost accommodation provided by the council or another agency to those who are on a low income and have been accepted as priority need by the council. Since the 80s, councils have given their tenants the right to purchase their council house at a discount, freeing up available funds for the council while also helping people who wanted to buy those properties to get on the housing ladder. However, over the years, this has reduced available housing stock for those who needed to be accommodated, meaning that they are now forced into the competitive private rented market and are at risk from being served a Section 21 notice. The BBC's Panorama covered this issue in their programme, Evicted for No Reason. My only hope of getting out of it is apparently to get back into private rented because there's no um, council stock. I have to go private rented, but I know what that looks like. I know what that feels like. And I really, really, really don't want to be there again. I don't want somebody with that kind of power over me. The Independent stated in 2012, Conservatives made changes to the rent-to-buy policy, increasing the amount of discount on a council property to encourage tenants to buy them. Since 2012, the number of homes sold off has increased by 409%. As the number sold increases, so does the loss to the taxpayer, as the buyer qualifies for a discount. This policy wouldn't be so damaging to the stock available if the revenue gained was put into building more affordable accommodation, but this hasn't always happened. Councils say they need more powers to be able to build more homes. 
more powers to borrow money and more powers to build homes themselves. In that infamous speech about housing, where the bricks of the set fell off behind her, Theresa May claimed the issue has been addressed as the borrowing cap has already been increased. In 2015, to fund the right to buy scheme, the national government started to draft legislation to force local councils to sell off their most valuable low-cost accommodation that was located in high-value areas. Not for the proceeds to go back into the local councils that sold the properties, but for the money to be returned to the Treasury. The Guardian reported in 2017 that councils are selling off homes nearly three times faster than they are building them. The Guardian also reported Kensington and Chelsea, the council where the Grenfell fire occurred, has built no council housing since 2014, but sold off enough council housing to bring in more than £14.3 million. Included in this legislation to force councils to sell off high-value homes were plans to stop people being given lifelong council house tenancies. Recently, the Independent suggested, due to the criticism of this legislation and the impact it would have, the government has made a U-turn, stating that it would be scrapped. I'm not convinced that this wouldn't still mean that councils are not thinking of selling off these high-value properties themselves and keeping the earnings. In fact, announcing this change, the government almost encourages councils to do so. This wasn't the only housing policy the government had scrapped. They also announced they were scrapping the plans for higher earners living in social housing to have to pay more as well as changes to housing benefit, meaning that those under 21 would no longer qualify, as well as ending housing benefit and supported accommodation. All these policies and legislation have now been dropped, and I'm left wondering how much it costs the taxpayer to research these policies, bring them forward as far as green papers, only for them to be scrapped, and I'm left feeling that that money could have been better spent. Crisis cited in their study that the building of property still needs to meet the number of new households we have forming in the UK. In 2014, projections estimated household numbers will grow at an estimated 227,000 per year over the next decade until 2024. Although Brexit might likely have an impact on this number, it's expected that migration to the UK will decrease. Although there may have been some legislative changes, making the change of use to a building easier, it's still expected that provision of housing will fall short on the estimated needed by 10,000 per year. I'd also argue that change of use around buildings was not that helpful in the long term, as it meant the council were able to change formal industrial units and office blocks into accommodation rather crudely, and this doesn't require planning permission. The BBC's Panorama programme covered this issue in their programme entitled Evicted for No Reason. Rents are so high in some parts of the country that people on average wages are being priced out. There's little social housing and private landlords can choose the wealthiest tenants. So families who are evicted can end up in places like this. It's an industrial estate near Croydon. Home to concrete plants, recycling centres, lorries, and now families living in a converted office block. Ava works for the council, but she's not here to help the homeless. She's been evicted twice under Section 21. She's homeless, so the council has housed her in the office block. 
So this was an office block then? Yeah, the this bedroom. is my son's bedroom. Right. And the roofs are very low, aren't they? Bed. Yeah, but we're not that tall, so... <laughs> well, that's the spirit, that's the way to look at it. Yes. Mentioned in The Guardian, a converted office building in Ilford, East London, has studio flats that are only 3.6 metres by 3.6 metres. Dispatches recently uncovered that it wasn't just a change of use properties where rooms are getting smaller, it happens with new builds too, and more significantly that a number of these housing developers have connections with the Conservative Party. I'm starting my journey at the biggest new housing development since Milton Keynes was built some 50 years ago. I'm heading to Northstone in Cambridgeshire. Northstone is eight miles north of Cambridge and in 2007 plans were put forward to build up to 10,000 new homes. The developer behind the first phase of the scheme is Gallagher Estates. In 2014, Gallagher Estates received outline planning permission for the first phase of Northstow, some 1,500 homes. But they weren't happy with one condition, the size of rooms. Alex Riley is a local Conservative councillor where the development is being built. South Cambridgeshire Council had outlined minimum room sizes for the development. For example, double bedrooms should be at least 10 square metres and a single bedroom at least 6.5 square metres. But Gallagher Estates wanted all space restrictions taken out. They hired some lawyers and appealed to the planning inspectorate so smaller rooms could be built. And they won. Why would a developer like Gallagher Estates uh, take such action to stop the council imposing a a minimum bedroom size. Obviously they want to maximise their profits, uh, but an example of this is that it allows them to build four bedroom houses that are actually smaller in surface area than three bedroom houses ever used to be. What do we know about the developer behind the move to reduce room sizes? Gallagher Estates was founded by property tycoon Anthony Gallagher. Anthony Gallagher is a supporter of the Conservative Party, a rather big supporter. In recent years, he's given the party more than £1.25 million. As somebody who gives the party more than £50,000 a year, Gallagher is a member of the so-called Leaders Group. This gives wealthy donors a chance to meet with the Prime Minister at a dinner or similar event. Anthony Gallagher is just one of several property industry people to donate to the Conservatives. In the first five months of this year, property companies donated some £1.4 million to the party, more than a third of all their corporate donations. While there's no suggestion that donations to political parties can influence planning decisions taken by either the planning inspectorate or local authorities, Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Property developers and landowners have also contributed to limited funds and land available for building social housing. Property developers are required to make some of the properties that they build in any development affordable. In 2015, as covered by The Guardian, Westminster Council said it expected to lose up to $1 billion in revenue due to a change in the policy, meaning that if a developer buys an empty property and brings it back into use as private housing, they don't have to pay for any more affordable housing units. Another way developers can shirk their obligations is to run a viability assessment on the development and argue that the development is not going to bring in the profits they expected. Dispatches looked further into this issue in their episode, Secrets of Britain's New Homes. Councils used to build most of our social housing, but this now is overwhelmingly left to developers, who can be forced by councils to offer affordable housing as part of getting planning permission. These affordable homes are priced at 80% of the local market rate, for rent or to buy, and aimed at helping the young and those on low incomes. In South Cambridgeshire, the council's policy is for 40% of new homes to be affordable, or 600 in the case of North Stowe's first phase. Gallagher argued that this would not be viable and the council allowed the number of affordable homes to be reduced to 300. The council's position is that it should be 40%, that's their starting position, but it was very disappointing that Gallagher effectively pleaded poverty and said that 20% was all they could possibly afford. Despite concessions given to Gallagher on room-sized and affordable homes, Northstow received big support from the then Tory housing minister, Brandon Lewis. In December 2014, Lewis issued a statement declaring the government was throwing its full weight behind the proposals. 
In February this year, Anthony Gallagher sold Gallagher Estates for £500 million. Two months later, on April the 25th, he donated more money to the Conservative Party through another one of his companies, this time £20,000. Despite bumper profits over the last few years, house builders have not been building enough affordable homes. The number being built is now at a 20-year low. From a peak of almost 75,000 in 1996, just under 33,000 affordable homes were built last year. Empty properties are still an issue across the United Kingdom. Shelter states that bringing them back into use is important in contributing towards reducing homelessness, but that we also need to build new homes in areas in which there would still be a shortage. Shelter have an interactive map on their website where you can see how many empty homes are in your area and how many new homes are estimated to be needed in a certain area in the next five years. Research commissioned by the Liberal Democrats found only one council out of 13 had used the powers that they have available to bring empty properties back into use. Information from 275 councils show that 60,000 properties had been empty for two years or more. 23,000 properties had been empty for five years or more, and 11,000 had been emptied for 10 years or more. Since 2006, councils can use empty dwelling management orders to try and work with an owner to bring the property back into use. This might well be because the owner doesn't have the funds to be able to afford to do so. The property might need work doing on it, it might need significant repairs. Rather annoyingly, over the years, the requirements a building needs to meet for the council to be able to obtain an EMO has changed. From 2006 to 2011, a property needed only to have been empty for six months. But in 2011, the coalition government changed this to two years, with evidence that the empty building was attracting squatters and antisocial behaviour, as reported by the BBC. So the council would only be able to apply for an EMO order if they could prove that that empty building was attracting squatters or antisocial behaviour. This is because the coalition felt six months was penalising the rights of the homeowner. Sometimes it does feel like it's one step forward, two steps back with our housing policies. Foreign investors buying properties in big cities have in the past attracted attention for what was called buy to leave. It's still happening. At the beginning of the year, due to an accidental release of data, Kensington and Chelsea, the borough where the Grenfell fire happened, accidentally released details of empty properties and their owners in their borough. The Guardian spent time looking at this release and found that the combined values of these properties reached 500 million, and the council had only issued £85,000 in fines for those properties being empty. The problem is these investors weigh up their options. It's cheaper to pay the fine than it is to pay for an agency to look after the house for you, dealing with repairs and wear and tear and tenants leaving and coming in. Still, our government seemed to be happy with this arrangement, with Brandon Lewis, the Minister for Housing, in 2013 reportedly saying to Camden Council, the government feels that empty home premium is appropriate and has no plans to make the changes you suggested. He went on to say the previous government's punitive approach to empty homes was counterproductive. He must have meant counterproductive to those who were well enough to afford to have a second home in another country. A 
I think to understand the housing market and the pressure within it that affects homeless people's diminishing chances of renting privately, we have to look at the market as a line. At one end, you have those who are homeless, and at the other end, you have those who own a home, and everyone else is renting in the middle. What this means is we have a booming rental sector in the UK where being a landlord can be very profitable and you can reduce your financial risks by picking those tenants who are working and have references and a large deposit. However, those tenants could well be trying to save up to purchase their first home and while doing so, they remain in the rental market, giving the landlords a large pool of working tenants to pick from. The Guardian found one in three millennials will never own a home which will mean they'll likely be occupying the rental market for their lifetimes and could likely be doing so in what's considered to be affordable housing. As a result of this, it would mean there's less properties available in the rental market for those who are claiming benefits. If you're homeless, getting the money together to find somewhere to rent can be impossible. On its website, Shelter states 60% of properties available are being managed by estate agents and they're making a lot of money out of this part of the market. They found in their study called Letting Agents, The Price You Pay, one in seven renters have paid more than 700 in fees. Add into that your cost of a deposit in the first month's rent and you could be looking at nearly £2,000 to move in. I myself have heard of fees being charged for producing a tenancy agreement, which is actually where the estate agent just changes the details like the name and etc on a pre-formulated tenancy agreement for the new tenant to sign. They're basically being charged for someone to use a mail merge. Shelter mentioned that they have been made aware of both the landlord and the tenant being charged for this service. They talk of a tripartite structure within the letting agency at the top and the landlord at the bottom. I've always felt uncomfortable with the communication and information between all parties being solely controlled by the letting agent. So the only advice I would give to anyone looking to deal with a letting agency is to ask if you can request to contact the landlord and introduce yourself just before you move in. That way you can ascertain what is fiction and what is fact and get a read on whether the landlord is still interested on who is renting their property. If they're not interested in who is renting their property, it might be quite likely that they have no intention of looking after it and are just hoping that the letting agents will do it on their behalf. A massive issue in the housing market for those claiming benefits is the landlord or agent's refusal to rent to anyone on housing benefit. When looking at a property online, you see no DSS. This means that the landlord or letting agent won't accept housing benefit. And it doesn't matter if you have the deposit in the first month's rent or great references saying that you were a glowing tenant. The answer is no. The Guardian looked at the reasons why. The biggest issue is housing benefit, or now in some areas, universal credit is paid in arrears. And with all of the issues that we mentioned previously regarding universal credit payments and restrictions on arranging for those payments to be paid directly to the landlord... Landlords just aren't that interested in renting to people on benefits. Under the previous benefit system, it was easier to arrange for housing benefit to be paid directly to the landlord. In addition to this, the local housing allowance rate, which sets what councils will pay for residents on housing benefit, hasn't changed since 2015. And as mentioned in the crisis's study, even the local council staff have concerns about this issue. Local housing allowance rates are now inadequate in large swathes of the borough as rent levels have started to exceed what LHA will cover by a significant margin. For three beds, our most acute area of undersupply, it may be a gap of several hundreds. LA Respondent, London, 2017. Deposits are also an issue. Housing benefit claimants don't always have a deposit and if they do, it's likely been provided by the council under a rent deposit scheme. These are hard for landlords to claim against, so landlords don't usually like taking them. Another reason is due to red tape. Making claims for benefits can be long, and they stop for no reason. 
if there is an overpayment where housing benefit have paid when they weren't meant to, even after the claimant's circumstances have changed, landlords can find themselves being asked for that money back. In addition, landlords and letting agents claim some mortgage and insurance companies won't allow them to rent to tenants on housing benefit. I personally think the final reason is the most significant. There's a belief from some in our society that those that claim benefits wouldn't look after the property properly, wouldn't pay rent and wouldn't be good tenants. These concerns create issues for hostels that are trying to move people on, which means they then find it harder to create a turnover in their hostel and house new people who need that hostel space. Finally, as Crisis mentioned in their report, councils are finding it's not just private landlords less willing to rent to tenants on housing benefit. Housing associations are increasingly less willing to do so too. I'd like to take this moment to make a request of our media. When the local council responds to your request for a comment on an individual case, can you make every effort to fact-check with that individual? On various articles like this, the council responds with something like, we've done everything we can, but some people's issues are complex and we've offered support and assistance. They're trying to place responsibility for an individual's circumstances purely with that individual, and that needs to be investigated before it's printed. To stop this perpetual belief among some that people who are homeless cause their own misfortune and that there is enough help out there if they just engaged with it. Thanks for listening to Our Subcity. If in the future our podcast receives advertising support, we aim to donate any net income to organisations we've mentioned, with details of donations published on social media. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate it and review it on whatever platform you are listening on. If you have questions or if you want to engage in the conversation, we can be found on social media at our subsidy pod. Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.